Welcome to the Hallisey and Horn podcast, hosted by Matt Hallisey and Al Horn. This is the only entrepreneurial podcast that helps you take the most important step to finally achieving financial and personal freedom. What is that step? Well, it's the very next step you need to take. It doesn't matter whether you've started a business but aren't profitable, or you've only just now thought about starting a business for the first time. You can design your new life in just a short period of time. We both started multiple profitable businesses, and we're here to help you move closer to your goal of living the life that you've been dreaming of. The crazy thing is you don't need to be especially talented, experienced, smart, or even lucky to make this happen. You just have to take the first step that's in front of you. So grab a drink and join us while we discuss our own journeys from working for other people as employees to living our dream lifestyle as business owners. We share our successes, our failures, and the simple formula we've discovered to go from starting from nothing to having our own profitable business in just a short period of time. We're here to help you move closer to your goal of living the life that you've been dreaming of but we're always scared to go after. Welcome to the Hallisey and Horn podcast. All right, how you doing today? I'm uh, doing okay. Um, it's been an interesting couple of uh, days in the world, and uh, you know, I, I wake up every morning and I think, uh, what a, what of the ten thousand things that could possibly go wrong today? How many of those will happen and how many will I have to deal with? But uh, overall, I would give myself a good, I'd say a B plus. All right. Well, I'll take that. All right. How are you doing, my friend? Um, pretty good. Pretty good. You know, I just, I think I'm like probably millions of other people and I just need a vacation from the news. I'm just taking a sabbatical. <laughs> like no matter what happens you're just going to drive yourself nuts it doesn't matter who you support nothing's going to be decided for like at least a month right you are correct sir and i used to work in the media so i know this is where all the people who have those rich contributor contracts this is where they cheat their employers out or they just they supply nothing of value and they make a ridiculous amount of money you want to run that one by me again? I, okay, I'm not okay, quite so sure maybe, what you're talking about there. All right. So on TV, if you ever go on a news network, pick a news network. It doesn't matter which one it is. And they'll say, hey, uh, on you know, joining us today is so-and-so, ABC News contributor, Fox News contributor, CNN contributor. Sure. That is a, that is a contractual title. They have a contract with the organization and they pay them to be on demand to go on whatever show on their network they want them to go on. And usually it's a few hundred grand. Sure. Sure. Great. So like, Where do I get so that gig? Uh, exactly. It's the, it's the late, it's the <laughs> easiest money you can ever make in the world. I'll take it. I'll take because, it. Because all they have to do typically what they have is they have a, um, an oppositional uh, interview format. So they'll take one person on one side of an issue, another person on the other side, both of them are contributors. Neither, mm -hmm. Both of them have an opinion. I believe in this. Well, I don't. I believe in the opposite. Well, that may not be true. That is not necessarily what they believe, but that is their role. What? Are you kidding me? 
I hope you're being sarcastic. <laughs> of course I am. Yeah. So anyway, but these people, like, let's say, but let's say that you're before the election and they're talking about, they're trying to give some, some type of propaganda and they're saying, oh, well, this is why I think President Trump will win. This is why I think Biden will win, blah, blah, blah. Sure, sure. Well, it's yeah. like, all right, well, at least you're earning your money because you have insiders, you're talking to people, you may have a perspective that most people don't have or whatever. Mm. That's fine. You're doing your thing. But once the votes are cast and you know nothing's going to happen for like at least a month, at least a month. Um, right. You are literally stealing money from your employer. You know, it's like saying, ah. you know, it's the person sitting here saying, you know, like the week before the Super Bowl, who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl? Well, this is why I think mm-hmm. so-and-so is mm-hmm. going to win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like bringing somebody in afterward and saying, after the Super Bowl's over and saying, well, you know, let's say the, uh, well, the Patriots <laughs> always win it, but they're not going to win it this year. But let's say that, why do you think the Patriots won the, you know, why do you think the Patriots are going to win the Super Bowl? Well, I think the Patriots are going to win the Super Bowl because blah, blah, blah. Well, the Super Bowl happened three days ago. You have nothing to add. There's nobody cares about your opinion. There's nothing valuable you can contribute. What, what you if, don't even know what the outcome in like, to, to be fair, when it comes to the election, you don't even know the outcome. What if the football was underinflated? Well, that's not a that's not a hypothetical because we know that's happened. <laughs> Which, by the well, way, then, I've thrown. Then the outcome isn't necessarily a given, is it? You could go back and say, "Guess what? We are changing the rules. Guess what? Certain circumstances uh, we were not aware of those circumstances, and as a result of those, we need to take this football game to the Supreme Court." <laughs> Well, I don't know if you remember back in the day in the early 80s when um, the Lakers were playing the Celtics, there was all kinds of shady stuff happening. So the Lakers uh-huh. would go to Boston and in Boston, like the old Boston Garden, they had a locker room that was probably the size of your bedroom, right? I mean, it was really small. I mean, it's really mm-hmm. tiny. And the Celtics used to, because it was so small and cramped, they used to blow hot air. I mean, it used to be like 90, blowing 90, like really hot air into the locker room. Mm. so that they would get tired out they invited so with, politicians into the locker room yeah pretty much pretty much seemingly so well what the lakers did when they went back to la and this is why i bring it up is matt danny ainge was or uh who is it dennis johnson was like six foot for the celtics well magic johnson's like six ten, so they used to over inflate the basketballs so that uh, when Magic 610, and he always bounced it really high, if you remember. Yeah, okay. It would bounce way higher. Well, if you have a okay. guy that's six foot with that same basketball, that ball's all like right. rocketing into his hand. Uh, okay. Uh, we, we may have to, you may have to edit all this sports stuff out because I'm not sure how much the entrepreneurs out there that are listening uh, right, really well, want to well, hear about the uh, uh, either overinflated. Well, my whole point or will, will end it out right now. They say if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. So. Well, you know, uh, life is samsara, okay? I'm a study, um, I'm a person who has studied Buddhism and metaphysics my whole life, and I can tell you that there, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day on the phone, and uh, he, he texted me, he said, you know, I'm feeling really low, and I said, okay, and he knows I'm a good listener, and I was a life coach at one point in time. He's a good guy, he called me up. And he started talking to me about all the things that were going on in his life. He lost his job. He lost his relationship. 
uh, he, you know, just, just bad things. And uh, some of it was due to COVID and some of it was not, although COVID's almost involved in everything now because of the ancillary effects of lockdown and pandemic and, uh, and what have you. So it makes, like I say, everything is just like it was before, only 10 times harder. (laughs) So I, at one point in the conversation, after I'd listened to what I call content, okay, and there's some other things that had gone, somebody hit his car while it was parked and he was in it. There was a confrontation. Uh, He thought it was going to get physical, all kinds of things, okay? And I said to him, my friend, there is the way, there is the world and what it is, and there is the world as it should be. Now, we all have in our mind some kind of idea, vision, perspective, ingrained ingrams or whatever, what we think the world should be. But as every entrepreneur knows, and as everybody who wakes up in the morning and opens their eyes knows, there's the way the world is, and there's the way the world should be. And, um, but here's, here's the rub, here's the deal. The dealio is a lot of times we just don't know. We're dealing with the unknown unknowns. We don't know if what we're perceiving or what we are attempting to understand or figure out or deal with is the world the way it is or is it the world that we've manufactured in our own head or is it some kind of complex thing about what everybody else perceives the world to be and like i said i've spent my whole life almost my whole life since i was a small child figuring this stuff out. And I used to talk to adults about it when I was like four or five and they would look at each other and go, what, who is this kid? Why is he talking about these things? Anyway, uh, (laughs) I enjoy it. Um, but it's part of the process. What I call part of the process is part of the show. Um, we don't really know. We don't really know. So we just do the best we can to smart our way through it. I'm reading a really interesting book right now called Think Like a Monk by this guy named Jay Shetty, Shetty, S-H-E-T-Y, which I don't think is a great name to have, but that's the name he has. He's from India originally. Parents are from India. He's from India. Grew up in London, studied uh, at uh, some major London university, of course, Parents wanted him to either be an engineer or a doctor, or he was going to be a failure. That's the three options, engineer, doctor, or failure. And uh, he did that. He got on that track. Uh, You know, he he wasn't doing that well in school, but he managed to get into university. They never say the university. They just say university in England. Everything's university, hospital. They leave out the the part, but that's okay. Um... You can't fault him too much for that. Anyway, he's on this path and he dis- he meets somebody who makes a, an impression on him, an impact on his life. And the guy happens to be a monk from India, from an ashram in India. 
who's traveling around England and talking about meditation and spiritual transformation and so forth and so on. They've been talking about that in India for a very, very long time. And he gets this idea that, well, maybe, you know, he's not really that happy with the university and with his, you know, life that he sees uh, ahead of him being uh, working for some big conglomerate in banking or what have you. So he decides to uh, partake of the invitation to uh, go to the ashram and, uh, and uh, partake in some retreats and so forth. And he gets the idea that he, he finds out that there's a tremendous amount he's learning about himself and about the world and decides to dedicate himself to being a monk. Very austere, difficult, challenging. Um, it is not easy to be a monk. You think if all you have to do all day is meditate and, and study and, uh, and clean, you know, that it, it shouldn't be that difficult, but it is. It's extremely challenging. But he learns a lot. Of course, his parents weren't very happy. They were very disappointed that he decided to become a monk. Why are you throwing your life away? Uh, well, after about three years of that, he, uh, he, he, he's not really feeling great about the whole thing. He doesn't feel like he's, he's, he's going to be the, you know, the greatest monk that ever lived or what have you. He doesn't feel like, he feels like he's got some challenges. It is just too difficult. And he doesn't feel like he's fulfilling a part of his, his dharma, his, his true nature, uh, what he would really like to do in life. So he asks one of the, one of the um, head, head monks, what do you think I should do? And, and the guy just looks at him and says, you know what? I think maybe you should just take what you've learned in the last three years and go back to the, England and London and go back to that kind of life. And he's shocked and he goes like, well, maybe this guy's right. Maybe this is what I should do. So he goes back to London. He's living with his parents, quote, in his parents' basement, so to speak. His mother says to him, really? You couldn't, you couldn't accomplish being a monk, which is sitting around and doing nothing all day? You couldn't do nothing? So he's feeling really bad about it, you know. And all of a sudden, he begins to, he, he, after a period of time, you know, he needs to get a job and he needs to do all the things that you need to do when you're living in the real world. And uh, which is the urban life, you know, uh, society as we know it. Not, not Ted Kaczynski's model of the real world, but the real world, you know, the household world. But he's not married and he doesn't have kids, but he, he's thinking, what should I do? Then he begins to realize that everything he learned as a monk for three years, none of it was really wasted. None of it was wasted. He knows how to meditate. He knows how to, get, he knows how to, uh, uh, to, 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 to focus. He knows he's learned some amazing lessons about life and about reality and about what life is and what life should be, et cetera, et cetera. And he decides to um, pursue uh, his, his vision of bringing this knowledge, this understanding, and these techniques and, and, and so forth 
to the to the, to the rest of the real world, and that becomes his path, his goal. So, number one, he becomes an entrepreneur. Okay. Number two, he he uses everything that he's experienced in his life, including the uh, amazing experiences and know-how that he he achieved while becoming a while being a monk, becoming and being a monk, which was over a period of three to five years. And he looks inside himself and he decides that there's some certain things that are keeping him keeping him from 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 accomplishing and doing what he wants to do. And a lot of it is around fear. Fear that his parents won't uh, approve of what he's doing, fear that he'll be a failure, fear that he doesn't, he's not good enough, you know, imposter syndrome, all that kind of stuff. And he realizes that if he faces his fears. All he has to do is take one more step and one more step and one more step and see what happens and learn from the process. And that's what being an entrepreneur is all about. So he ends up writing this book called Think Like a Monk. He ends up going to uh, being invited to uh, many different uh, gatherings and conferences and so forth to give a talk about what he knows about, which is meditation and spiritual transformation and how that applies to being successful and happy in this real world that 99.99% of us live in or hope to live in. And, uh, and he finds his calling. He finds his passion. He finds his, his vision, his truth. And everything is from then on is a learning process, a growth process. So it's all grist for the mill. Whatever happens to him in his life, in his mind, in his projection of his mind is all good because it's all learning. It's all taking him in the direction that he wants to go to do what he wants to do, to be who he wants to be. And I'm finding the book fascinating. I I, I like the book. It's got a lot of practical, uh, practical information. It isn't um, mystical. Okay, it's very practical, and I like that. But it talks about a lot of metaphysical things that I I've, I've studied and, and learned about my whole life. It have to do with the psyche and the mind and consciousness and all that kind of stuff. So my point is this. I, I I check the book out of the library digitally, okay? Because it's almost impossible to get a book from the library now. Yeah, you, you, you got to send it to the right library. If you don't, then you've got to <clears throat> call them and arrange to have it brought to your car in a hermetically sealed container of some kind. It's ridiculous, okay? Because of this whole COVID thing. But anyway, I've got it digitally, and I can sit on my couch. And uh, look at it on the big screen so I can make the text bigger, look at it on the big screen, giant screen. And so it's easy to read. And I've been going through it and I'm enjoying it. Um, one thing that occurred to me last night was this. He's got exercises in there. If you don't do the exercises, you're not going to get the most out of the book. And so you've got theory, you've got 
explanation. You've got things for you to think about. That's all verbal. That's a verbal world, okay? Just like when we discuss, talk back and forth. It's a verbal world, okay? But if you do the exercises, then the verbal explanation, the discussion, the truth, whatever it is he's talking about, becomes much more applicable and much more real. And I was thinking to myself, I was a little frustrated with some things that were going on yesterday with LinkedIn and an event that I posted on LinkedIn, which I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that because I think it's directly applicable. Yeah, what happened with that? I'll put a pin in that and come back to it. And I was thinking to myself, if you don't practice reading these books, whether it's about entrepreneurship or about spiritual transformation or psychology or whatever it is, if you don't practice it, it's not very useful. And I think that's part of the problem with the whole self-help industry. <clears throat> People think they have the problem solved because they're reading what somebody else has to say about it. And that doesn't solve the problem. And I think it's directly applicable to what we're doing <clears throat> in the sense that we can provide information. We can ask questions. We can discuss a variety of things. We can provide metaphors. We can provide analysis. But unless the people that are listening who either want to be an entrepreneur, are an entrepreneur, or have a business, don't take that and put it to practical use to implement it, they're not really going to get that much out of it. They've got to be able to say, okay, that makes sense, or that's an insight, or that's another way of looking at it. Let me apply that to what I'm doing. If they don't do that, it's just words bouncing around in their head. It isn't going to make a difference. So we talked last time about the two main areas of being an entrepreneur, the two main areas that are, are constant, that always are being focused on, problem solving and execution. So how do we help entrepreneurs? If they have a problem, we can address the typical problems that entrepreneurs face. And we can talk about the different aspects of those problems. And we can uh, uh, present potential solutions or ways of looking at those problems that are going to help the entrepreneur. But that's, that's half of it. And that's helpful hopefully helpful, but that's the only, that's only one half of it. The other half of it is execution. If the entrepreneur listens to this podcast and says, oh, there's an insider, there's a way of dealing with it, or even if we're addressing a specific question that they have, and hopefully entrepreneurs will get in touch with us and say, hey, would you talk about this? Would you talk about that? I have a question about this. What do you think about that? And we can give them the benefit of our experience. Or at least we can, we, can, we can let them know what we think are the right questions to ask. Because that's a big part of it. It's just asking the right questions. But if they don't execute, if they don't apply it and do something 
and see what the results are, you're like a scientist who's sitting there with a pad of paper and, and, and writing mathematical symbols down, but he doesn't do any experiments. There's no way to prove anything. And if you'll indulge me with a couple of more minutes, because I want to hear what you have to say about this and what you think about it, Matt. But here's my first, here, let, me, let, me, let me apply this directly to a problem I encountered. I wanted to, I create an event on LinkedIn that would, was going to be a conference call. And uh, the purpose of the conference call was to talk to entrepreneurs to set them up to be interviewed by us. And I was going to select an entrepreneur based on the conference call and pick them to be on our podcast. So I posted the event and I said, if you are interested in participating in the call, which I set up for last night at 7 p.m., text your name, LinkedIn, to my phone number, phone number that I have just for texting, okay? And here's the results. Here are the results of my efforts. Over 50 people RSVP. And that and also me put it on Meetup too. So there's 10 more. So now there's over 50 altogether between Meetup and LinkedIn that have RSVP. Out of those 50 people, two from Meetup texted me their information so that I could send them the details on how to participate in the call, you know, here's what, it's all online, right? Here's use a phone or click here, you know. the Two people sent me a text from meeting saying, here's my name, here's the group I was in and I wanna participate in the call. Of the over 40 people that RSVP'd, most of which are people that I'm connected to on LinkedIn as opposed to just random people. One sent me a text 10 minutes after the call was supposed to begin. The rest of them did not send me a text. So that tells me, and this is not my first rodeo, I've done this before on LinkedIn, and I've had 50 or 60 people RSVP. And all that means is they saw it and they clicked on it. It does not mean they're going to participate. It does not mean they really care about it. It doesn't mean they even understand what the details of the event were. All it means is they saw it, a shiny object and they swatted at it. And now, the last time I did this, I kind of threw my hands up in, in disgust and confusion and said, well, Forget about it. I'm not, you know, I mean, they know who I am. They've checked my profile. That's something. They at least, they know who I am. They RSVP'd and they did not send a text. And uh, so they're not going to participate in the call. That's, that's the line I've, in the sand that I've drawn. If they don't send me a text, I am not going to send them another email that they're not going to see. I'm not going to be juggling cats on acid with these people. 
trying to get to figure out whether they got the information or didn't get the information or this or that, or they understand what's going on, forget about it, okay? They have to text me. And last time, nobody texted me, so there was no call, and uh, I didn't do it. And I was frustrated, and I said, you know what, maybe it, this time it's because they need to be reminded. <clears throat> so you can't just send an email on LinkedIn to all the people that are you're in your contact. You've got to do it individually. You can't just say, send this to all. LinkedIn won't let you do that. So I have to go to each person and, and copy. I did a copy paste, of course. I didn't type it out each time. I'm not insane. But I sent them the information that if they, they need to text this information, if they don't text it, they will not be invited on the call. Then I posted that about three or four times in the event itself. Post for discussion. Then I shared that with them. Didn't make any difference. These were some of these people I knew, some I didn't know. They, most of them were in my contacts. So at some point in time, they said, we want to connect with you. But connect with you in LinkedIn only means two things. It either means <clears throat> I want to sell you something. So I'm going to send you a, a sales pitch. Probably. Or it's an ego thing where I just want to connect with you because I want to see how many people I can connect with it. The, the idea of actually having a, a, a potential business relationship out of a contact connect on LinkedIn is like saying, okay, what, what are the planets like around an, a, a star that's in another galaxy? It does, it's just, it's a hopeless, ridiculous thing. But you will get a sales pitch from some of them, of course. Oh, please do this or please do that. And what I always do is I send them back another message giving them my sales pitch. <laughs> Anytime somebody gives me a sales pitch, unless they're trying to sell me spaghetti sauce, I send them another sales pitch back. And, um, and that's it. So the frustrating part, and I think this is what a lot of entrepreneurs are dealing with, is not the only thing, but it is a big piece of it, is how do you, how do you make contacts? How do you... Uh, 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 connect and make contacts and how do you uh, uh, develop a relationship and at what point do you provide them with an offering of some kind with regard to what it is that you do and find out if they're interested in what it is that you do and vice versa okay I'm not talking about advertising here. I'm talking more about networking, okay? If I see an advertisement in the middle of a movie that I'm watching and it's for spaghetti sauce telling me that by using the spaghetti sauce, I'm going to make a meal for somebody and they're going to really love it and like it because I'm using the spaghetti sauce to make a meal for them. I call that advertising, I call it interruption, and really just annoying, okay? But if somebody reaches out to me and say, hey, I know who you are from your profile, I've heard of you, um, or someone has told me about you, let's connect. That to me is networking, and that's a whole different thing than advertising. Completely different animal. 
and you know advertising, I know you'll agree with me on that. So the big question is, and this is very, very important for entrepreneurs, because when you're first starting, whether you're first starting or whether you're Elon Musk, okay, networking and connections to other people and their resources and their know-how and their expertise and their connections is extremely important. It may be the difference between your, whether your business succeeds or fails. How do you do it? How do you do it effectively? How do you not come off as salesy? How do you uh, 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 nurture a relationship? How do you make it work? What do you think about that, Mike? Matt? Uh, well, I, I, you know, my main thing I look at, I look at it from kind of a sociology standpoint, like, you know, whatever somebody's doing is usually part of a general, um, it's either an unconscious or just trained pattern, right? Mm. So like when you get up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? The first thing you do, you might grab a cup of coffee. You might turn on the business channel. Who knows? You might turn on cartoons. I mean, I can't presume for anybody. Um, but that's kind of the that's kind of the the well ingrained pattern that they've trained themselves to do. Right. What does that have to do with anything? Well, <laughs> when you look at when you look at social media platforms, that is that you basically take that pattern and, and you just entrench it, and you just li literally lock it in cement. So, for example, and I'm not really on it. I think I'm on it like maybe once a week just to check for a notification from my baseball team. Is Facebook? I'm only on it once a week because my manager has a Facebook, my, my baseball manager has a Facebook group and I just want to make sure that like I'm not missing anything. So I check Checking in, in. Check, the right. check the notification, look for his and log back out. I am never, I'm really never on it. But the when I was on it, what, what I noticed is you go on Facebook and it's just like, all right, some people who are the type A personalities are like, I'm just going to go on Facebook and then check all my, my new notifications so now I don't have any. Now my world is clean and uncluttered. Some people go on and it's just a time kill. And they just end up, you know, they end up their phone there and they end up just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And it's just a time kill because they're bored or they're stressed or they have anxiety. It could be any number of things. Um, Twitter's kind of the same thing. Everybody I talk to that goes on Twitter, especially people in the media, um, they just go on to see what's trending so they know kind of what's going on in the world, right? So when it comes to networking, what I've found is it's kind of the same thing. Like if I have to sit here and I'm putting a push message out, we'll talk about push versus pull. If I put a push message out and say, hey, we're having this event on this day and this time, do you want to come? It's natural for people you kind of break it into two phases. The first phase is I want to be, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to say no, but I'm not ready to say yes. So they, what they do is they sign up to the event and at least to put something on their calendar and it gives them an option later on. Whereas mm -hmm. if you just delete, delete it, then it's a no and you're just going to forget about it. But there is a level of interest. It's just the question is, is it, is it on a one to a hundred on a one out of a hundred or a hundred out of a hundred or somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> now I'm also a big believer in the difference between extrinsic, extrinsic, extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. 
Right. And I'm a big believer in the importance of intrinsic motivation. For those without having to go to thesaurus, extrinsic motivation basically means that I'm doing something to push you into something. So for example, my car was out of gas. Like I literally turned on my car and I like barely started and I looked at the gas tank and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's like almost no gas. And I was kind of concerned, like I'm not even make it to the gas station. Mm. Well, that's extrinsic motivation. Like I, I'm not intrinsically motivated to get gas, but if I want to drive to where I'm going, you better get it. Right. And so that works only in certain circumstances where there's a lack of choice, a lack of optionality in the person's life. But the real power of getting somebody to move is intrinsic motivation. But the, the, you know, that's basically where it's within somebody where they want to do it. So it's like, you just got lost your job and you have a really nice car. Well, I have, you know, I have an intrinsic, I have an intrinsic motivation to go drive for Uber. I could, you know, make money any different way. I could, take 17 different paths to try to make, you know, replace my income, get a new job, mm. sign up for whatever. But the intrinsic motivation is what you want to do. Like with nobody pushing you, what is it that you have? What is it that you end up doing? And with, with, with meetups, I found that it's like, you know, let's say out of a hundred people that sign up, let's say a hundred people that you send something to 30 people sign up, 70 people just delete your message. And that's probably a good response actually. Um, and out of that, I would say maybe four people show up. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe the numbers are off a little bit, but <clears throat> the key thing is like when it comes to meetup and networking, the whole point of that is like you have the point of networking is to expand your contacts so that you can meet somebody that can help you in your business. Maybe it might be a future client. Um, maybe it's somebody who just is great, you know, who you like going to their stuff or hearing them from an educational standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. If somebody's watching this podcast or listening to this podcast, that's the same thing. It's like you could be doing eight different things, but you're listening to this podcast because you feel like you're getting something out of it. Like you feel like you're, you're better educated. You feel like you're better equipped not to make certain mistakes in your business. Mm. Uh, maybe you gain more confidence. It could be something like that. So going back to your thing where it's like, okay, I send this out 40 or 50 people uh, respond back that they're interested. And you know what? One, you say one person from LinkedIn actually sent me a text. Yeah, and he exactly. didn't include the word LinkedIn. Like I asked him to, but he sent it to me and, and he sent it to me. Uh, after 7.05, so I sent him a text back, thank you for your interest, but the conference call has already started, and uh, we'll notify you the next time we have another one. Sure. Yeah, and so I'd say, you know, initially, if we're just doing a post-op on it, I'd say it's like, you know, kind of, what kind of I like to say, spread the blame around. So on their side, it's like, you know, in one sense, you can't, you can't make somebody do something or even in, in, uh, propel somebody to do something if they're not interested. Like, you know, I call it the dead hand, you know, the dead handshake. It's like, you know, if you shake somebody's hand and they have this like limp, not limp, but like this completely dead handshake, like they're not engaged in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. When I was in, when I managed sales teams, it's like, I always told them, I said, look, I can help you steer the car, but I can't push the accelerator. 
Like that's your job. Mm. You know, and if, if the if accelerator is not getting pushed, then we are going to have a long-term problem here. But I said, if you're really working hard and you're engaged and you want this to work, then, you know, and you're expending effort and showing me that you care, then I could help make adjustments and help you get there. Mm -hmm. When it comes to networking, you're, you're, you're driving, you're turning the steering wheel, but it's up to them to actually show up. Now, pre-COVID, it came to a point where it was like, you know, if somebody was going to go to your meetup pre-Zoom, obviously, then it's like they're going to make a physical choice out of, you know, the, the options that they have in front of them. And they're going to meet at this place at this time. And they're going to show by their actions that they're interested in going. Right. I think what COVID shown us is like everything's online. So you can sit in your pajamas and decide, well, you know, do I just, you know, do I really want to be productive today or does it matter? Or, you know, am I just going to decide, you know, the heck with it. I'm just taking a day off and I'm going to buy, go do Netflix, you know, because maybe nobody's buying your product. Cause if, if, especially if you're in sales, it's not like you can go out and meet people for the most part. Hmm. So on that sense, I'll blame them in a sense because it's like, all right, well, you can't, you know, you can bring a horse to water, email them or text them about an event, but you can't make them drink. But on the other hand, I think we maybe look at the messaging and I'm not, I, I don't know what the messaging is, but it could be that the messaging needs to be improved or it could just be the target that you're shooting at. There's, there's an underlying internal dialogue that they're having with themselves. Right. And I'm a big believer in that. It's like, if you want to get somebody to wake up or somebody to engage where they're not engaged, um, the only way that you have any hope of doing, and it doesn't mean if you do what I'm about to say it'll work, but if you have any hope at all, you have to speak in the language that they're talking to themselves about. And yes. so maybe they're saying like, well, maybe inside they're saying, well, what does it really matter? It doesn't matter how many networking events I go to. It's just like, nothing's going to help me. You know, I've gone to 30 different networking groups and nothing's helped me. And it's interesting because it depends on how you do it. So some people might say, oh, the heck with it. I'm not going to do networking anymore. And maybe that's just an indication that that's not the person you want to work with anyway. Mm -hmm. I was actually, you know, a few years ago, I went to like probably, I don't know, three or four different networking groups overall. Uh, it's kind of my regular weekly routine or monthly routine. And I would meet people that were just great. They helped me out with stuff. It wasn't about sales. It was just help me, you know, be a sounding board or give me ideas or just being around people that thought like I did. It kind of, it trained my brain to think a certain way. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, I stopped going to networking for a while. I actually took a job, which was terrible. Like it was an absolutely terrible job. Quit the job just to get away. Addition by subtraction. And went back and said, okay, well, I'm going to go see if those meetups are around. Well, they weren't around. A few of them, they just disbanded or what have you. And so I was like, all right, well, fair enough. This might be an opportunity to see what else is out there. So I went to a couple meetups and they were just like you said, everybody trying to sell each other. Mm. And I call that a forest full of hunters. There's no game in the forest, but there's a whole bunch of hunters with shotguns shooting at each other, ducking and shooting. And, you know, you think it's hunting, but it's warfare, right? Mm-hmm. nobody wants to go in that forest anymore. And so I thought, well, I've tried and I can't, you know, I don't want to sit here and like go to a million other ones and try to, you know, in the hope of finding somebody that I meet that, you know, can I kind of relate to or might help me out in my business or just be kind of a, a you know, 
conjoined spirit for lack of a better term. And mm -hmm. so what I did is I said, I'm just going to set instead of going to the bait that other people are setting, I'm going to actually set my own bait. And so I went on Eventbrite, um, mainly because it's free, like meetup charges you money, but Eventbrite's free. And I just said, look, we're going to, I'm going to set up this thing. I'm, I'm in this, I, I go out and I remotely work in a cafe in PB every Wednesday. That's mm -hmm. where we met. That's and I just right. said, look, yeah. And I just said, um, I said, I'm, you know, starting my own business, blah, blah, blah. This is what I'm doing. I, this is not a, a meetup for the sense of a meetup. There's no organization. There's no agenda. You know, this is not about meeting. Um, then I had somebody show up that was in a, in a pyramid scheme. So I had to add no selling in all caps. <laughs> <laughs> I said, we're just trying, if you're looking for somebody to, you know, you know, help you with your business, you know, just to, you know, have a sounding board. So you have somebody that's kind of chasing the same target, so to speak. I'm here every Wednesday and I'd love to meet you. And if we work out and if it works out, then, you know, we have kind of a, we're kind of starting to build a tribe where we can start to elevate our businesses together. Mm -hmm. And what happened is people would, well, I, I had the same thing, except I wasn't pushing it out. I would say, let's say out of every given 20 people that said, Hey, I'm registered and I'm going to come. I would say probably five came, you know, and for me, I'm working anyway. So it's like, if they don't show up, I'm still going to be there doing my thing. Mm -hmm. um, but the five came, it's like, all right, cool. Somebody's here. And then of those five, I'd probably say one of them on average, one out of five was actually like a well-fit person who actually read the description and we're kind of in this in the same spot. So I'd say mm -hmm. you were one of them. There's this guy. Um, I'm having one next week, actually, and a guy that I had met last year who probably was probably the most well-aligned person of what I'm doing um, is showing up next week again, which is kind of cool. And then I had one last week with a guy who isn't really, a, you know, kind of doing anything digital or online, but he's basically this this 20-year-old kid who um, basically figured out a way to sub out an electric engine in any car. So let's say you have a Ford F-150. He can pull your engine out, put a fully electric engine in there, connect everything, and you now have an EV. And he's just looking for funding so he can do an official like uh, prototype, you know. And, and so anyway, but this kid's 20 years old, you know, doesn't, I don't think he went to college or whatever, but just a really smart kid, really curious, industrious, whatever. Um, but I thought, cool, like if anything, I can be a sounding board for him, but it's not like sure. he's going to, you know, not like we're chasing the same goal necessarily. So going back to what you're saying is like, it's kind of hard. Like you have something that you're trying to, to do is, is having this networking event, whether it's for your own benefit or just to create others benefit, but you're going into people who, especially in COVID are just trained to be in this routine, right? Especially when you're remote you know, it's hard enough to do that when everything's normal because everybody's in their routine and they have certain things to do and you're adding something. And in a sense, what you're doing is you're saying, hey, I want to I be part of your calendar. Do you want to come? Mm -hmm. And it's just for a lot of people, it takes a lot to do that. But then you add COVID in where people just generally don't really have much of a reason to leave their house, especially here in California because a lot of stuff shut down. Mm -hmm. And then you're saying, hey, well, we want to do it via Zoom, but there's so many other things that they could do remotely. Mm -hmm. They could be working on their business alone. <clears throat> um, they could have something that overlaps your appointment. So I had somebody that, that you know wanted to do a Zoom call 
like as a presentation for how to make YouTube ads. And it was at the same time as ours. So it's like, duh, well, I can't do that. Um, and then other people just think, man, this is just not working for me. And it's like, you know, maybe you just catch them in a really depressed moment. And they put it on the calendar thinking, well, maybe I'll feel better by Tuesday. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's tough. So it's, there's not an easy thing. I'd say if anything as an entrepreneur that we would do, that we would look at is we'd want to problem solve our own numbers. And the big thing that I always looked at in my sales job is you'd always want to identify a bottleneck. So let's, I worked in a call center. So let's say you make a hundred calls and you leave 50 messages and one person calls you back. Well, your bottleneck is getting people to call you back, Mm -hmm. right? So you got to solve that bottleneck. Don't worry about your sales pitch or your, you know, product knowledge or anything like that. Your, your problem is just getting somebody on the phone. Mm -hmm. And so you want to problem solve through that to get those numbers up. So if I were, if I were advising you, I'd say, okay, well, I would address the problem in the room. The problem in the room is that you have all these people showing up or texting you that saying, Hey, I want to show up. Um, but nobody sends that follow-up text where you give them the invitation. Well, the RSVP for the event. On Fair the enough, but they're, but they're not showing up. So the, the problem is they're in, not taking the next step, right? Which is so actually pro- commit to do it. Correct. So the question is what's in, what's going on inside their mind? Like, you know, whether we can ask them directly or infer it. But I think the problem to get that number up is to try to figure out, to figure out what's going on inside their mind and just address it head on. So it's like, look, you know what, you know, we're all stuck in COVID. Some of us are depressed. Some of us are just hitting, just call it like you see it. Some of us are just RSVPing to give ourselves an option for later. If that's you and you're just, you know, lukewarm, putting a toe in the water, please don't RSVP. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know but this mm-hmm. is something it's like we are taking this very seriously and we're you know if, you, if you'd like to come come but we are you know address it as if you if somebody if if they said they're going to come and you know that they're not coming like how would you whittle it out so like for me when i did my meetup thing or whatever my event thing i don't want people coming in and selling me I just don't want to do that. It was, it was the worst hour of my life. I hated it. Yeah. I could be working yeah. on my business and I have this person selling me Primerica. Like I don't want right. to exactly. be a great Primerica agent. No, don't do that to me. Right. And so it's like, I just realized, well, I'm going to learn from that. And I just don't want that ever to happen. So I ended up putting that in all capital letters, like no selling. If you're coming here to sell me on something, don't come. And right. so maybe, maybe that's it. And you know, I, the idea is if you sometimes, not always, but sometimes if the person's trying to figure out like this sounds really good and you're actually telling them specifically what you don't want, you're probably further motivating the right person because they're sure of what they're walking into. Because mm-hmm. we've all been to networking events where it's all about, it's a sanctioned forest full of hunters where they're all officially allowed to sell each other all the time. And if somebody signs up, to your meetup and it's like okay well maybe that might be where it is but if you're actually coming in and saying you know this is what we're not about or you know but either way but if the bottleneck is getting we have an rsvp but nobody shows up the question is why aren't they showing up mm-hmm. so maybe maybe you send a, a quiz to them and just say hey for anybody that rsvp'd um just send you know just text me back one um i changed my mind and it wasn't of interest two right. 
you know, I, I wanted to come, but something came up at the last time or three, whatever the decisions are, and just text me back real quick. It doesn't require any time on their half other than just to punch in a number and hit send. Sure. And then you get a sense on what's going on and, you know, you can at least address that head on. And maybe, maybe the messaging changes, but inherently you're dealing, you're basically already tying your hand behind your back in COVID because people's mentality is all screwed up in a lot of ways. Like I, you know, we've talked about before, I had a product for my company that was slated to start in March. I was out of the country in, in, um, in February and I'm like, all right, as soon as I get back, we'll ramp it up, put the final touches on, we're going to launch it on St. Patty's day. That's not going to work. <laughs> right. And so it's like, all right, now what do you do? You know, and so it's like, we all thought this was just going to go on for what, a few weeks? Remember when they said the shutdown would just be a few weeks to save the hospitals? Well, it's going on what, almost eight months now? Yes. Nine months, really? And so it's like now people are like, if it's only two weeks, fine, we'll wait two weeks out and we'll come back and we'll hit do what we need to do. But mm -hmm. at nine months, it's like, all right, when is this going to end? And nine months of having to deal with all the crap we've dealt with from lockdowns to politics to any number of things going on, it just takes a toll on people. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, maybe that's how we change our messaging. Maybe the messaging before COVID doesn't work in that regard. Maybe it's just like you're addressing the elephant in the room, you know, mm -hmm. what's really going on in their mind. I mean, they always said, you know, early on in the shutdown, they always, there were memes on, on the internet. Like, this is like Vegas. You're drinking all times of the day. You're losing money by the hour and you have no idea what time it is. Right. Right. <laughs> and so that's okay for a week or two, but after nine months, the mental toll that it takes on people can be kind of tough. And so yeah. maybe that's the thing that people are just like, you know, they get inundated. I get inundated with, with meetup requests all the time. And the first thing that I look at, and this is just me, is I look at the location and I'm like, you know, we're kind of open sorta there in California. You can be outside to a point. Um, mm -hmm. And if it says online event, I just delete it, you know, but I, there are events that I put on my calendar and I'm like, all right. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll admit I'm, I'm one of the violators I just described. So there are where it's, maybe it's the first time that I would go to an event. It sounds kind of interesting. And I just click RSVP because I want it on my calendar and I do intend to go, but on a scale of one to a hundred for interest level, I'm probably a, I don't know, a 50 to a 60. Sure. And I do want to go, but if I don't go, is it the end of the world? No. Now the mm -hmm. question is, what do I miss? Maybe, maybe you do something, you restrict the number of spots. I did. Um, I said, we're going to limit yeah. it to 15. Yeah. Maybe it's like, um, I don't know. I mean, you could do anything where it's like you, maybe you boot them out of the group if they don't show twice. I have a penalty for uh, artists yeah, peeing and not be anything. showing up. It could right. be anything, but I think, I think more than anything, there's a reason they're not showing up. It could be apathy. It could be, I slept in. Sure. Uh, it could be any number of things. Too tired. I kind of, yeah. Or I just, you know what? Mentally tired. I just, you know what? I'm just like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, right. why, why should I sit through an hour and a half meetup or hour meetup or whatever it is? Mm -hmm. if, I, if I'm losing belief that I'm going to make any headway in my business. Right. And so, you know, maybe ask the people that RSVP'd, hey, for yeah. those who didn't show up, just, you know, just type in one, two, three, or, you know, 
four, you know, maybe four is, you know, other and just tell me what it is. And that gives them an opportunity to, if, if none of your options are accurate and see what they say. And you might find out that everybody slept in. It could be maybe one of the options is the day didn't work. Right. Mm -hmm. So you'd schedule it, say on a Monday, but Monday just, they're not good on Mondays. Um, Right. And then maybe it's like, if you find out that it's like, oh, okay, well, there was some scheduling conflict, <laughs> you could maybe send out a new one. It's like, all right, what day would you rather have these on? Monday, you know, one for Monday, two for Tuesday, three for Wednesday, mm-hmm. and see what they say. You know, I don't know, right. but we need to figure out what the problem was. And uh, and from execute. there, maybe that address, yeah, and, and it's like what you said. It's like come up with something and then actually execute on that. Have a strategy mm-hmm. and then come up with the execute and the strategy. The problem is we're trying to go into somebody's living room and we don't get, you know, what's going on. If you have a physical meetup and 30 people show up and 40 people RSV, 40 other people RSVP and didn't show up, all right, we're still going to have the meetup. You know, right. they know they missed out because they know inherently there's a bunch of people that left their house to go do what they're doing and meet up and they know they missed out. They kind of like, oh, I definitely want to go to the next one. But if it's mm-hmm. Zoom, it's like there's very little physical investment in there. And right. so well, no I skin in the that. game, no there's skin no, in the game, no skin in the game. And so it's like, well, I can just I can come next time because you're a face in the crowd. Like right. if I, if I go to an, if I, if let's say I'm going to my little Friday and I haven't been to one in a while just because it's been online and I'm sick of the online one for this one. But, um, but when we did it in person and I would go every week, all of a sudden I didn't go, I knew I was missing something, but two, I knew people would like not call me out on it, but like, Hey man, we missed you last week. It's like, okay, well, cool. Like there's, there's, there's a group, there's a presence investment that I actually make. And there's things that I can help people or I can gain from it or whatever. But if it's Zoom, it's like, whatever. Some people even do replays. So it's like, why even go if you can just watch the replay? That's true too. So, yeah. so yeah. And I think like anything, if you're going to have a strategy, you have to have the research behind it. And, you know, I play baseball. So it's like when I'm sitting on the bench and I'm watching the other pitcher, I watch, I watch, I try to figure out what's the first pitch he throws. What does he throw when he's ahead in the count? What does he throw with two strikes? What does he throw right after? Let's say he shakes off his catcher. What does he throw after a shake off? Mm-hmm. You know, and then it's like, all right, cool. And I remember this one time I was playing in this game, this all-star game, this Japanese pitcher was coming up and I had faced him a couple times and he always used to throw cut fastballs inside, which are like trying to jam you on your fist. Right. And it was always his first pitch. And I was sitting in the on deck circle, right? Was the inning was getting ready to start and he's throwing his warm up pitches. And I told the guy who was batting first, I go, I go, if he throws me a cutter inside, I'm taking him deep. He threw me a cutter inside and I hit one off the fence, off the top of the fence. And it's like, I've been paying attention to him for a long time. And I had enough, I had a good sense on what he was going to throw and when he was going to throw it. And so I could actually mm-hmm. execute on that strategy. If I get a right. new pitcher who I don't know anything about, and I just say, okay, I'm just going to sit on a fastball. Well, I don't know. He could throw me something different. And I look, I look really ugly on that. Mm-hmm. So for the meetup, it's like, you know, that's kind of where things get. It's like, how do you get people yeah. to show up? Well, it's, it's all about motivation. It's about what's really motivating them. When it's, right. If you're in sales, how do you get somebody to show up? You have to figure out what's making them not show up. Let's solve the opposite problem. You know, and I always said, like, and I was told by people on my sales team, I'm like, 
assume they're not going to show up. What are they going to lose? I mean, think about it. I'm going to ask you right now, what do they lose if they blow off your appointment? And if you don't have a solid answer, then that's your problem, right? Mm. But it's like, you need to build enough value in there and to show what they're going to miss if they don't show up that, and you fully understand their intrinsic motivation for showing up, then they'll do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Secondly, and I, I like what you do is I always like giving what I called homework. Like, I'm going to, you know, we'll schedule an appointment for this day and this time, but I need something done before that time. So for you, it's the text, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't text me, you know, you can RSVP till the cows come home, but if you don't get, if you don't text me, you're not going to get the link. Right. Right. So I, am a big believer in that. And then, you know, part of it is like, you have to be, I think you have to be different than everybody else out there. If I look at all the other people setting up meetup groups, and I sound exactly like them, then I'm not going to be looked at as unique. I'm, there's no curiosity in the other person's mind, and they're probably not going to show up. Right. If there's no curiosity, they're not showing up. Right. Right. Or no in- intrigue or anything like that. And so, you know, we live in a different world. You know, um, one of the things that was interesting when I went to that Friday group, there was a guy that I think I told you about this, but for those who are listening, if you hadn't heard, but there was a guy who, who was selling, he has, a, he has a product line called Third Eye um, Threads, I think is his name. And they, he's basically this like spiritually endowed thread where it's like helps your chakra and whatever. Mm. And when COVID hit, it was like he was trying to figure out, he was trying to figure out what to do. And so he ended up making masks that were like uh, adjusted your chakra but it had his company's logo on it. He was literally the first company that I ever saw that promoted their brand on a mask. Mm-hmm. Right. But what was interesting is before COVID, he, we were talking about like he was working with this one marketing guy and he was trying to figure out because he would get people a bunch of traffic to his website, but nobody was buying his stuff. And so they ended up doing a, you know, kind of a deep dive research on all the people that visit his website. And we found out what they were searching for wasn't yoga pants um, it wasn't athletic wear and it wasn't even like, you know, spiritual stuff. The people, the women that were going there were searching for yoga pants that wouldn't f- have panty lines. Mm. And he's like, this is a guy. Like, he's like, I would have never, ever, ever guessed that. And so now that he knows, like, I was looking for yoga pants with now that don't show panty lines. That was his new marketing message. Like, hey, yoga pants, high quality yoga pants that don't show panty lines. And then also at the same time that adjust your chakra, it's like, boom, his sales went through the roof. <laughs> adjust your chakra. Right? Yeah, whatever. But maybe, you know, yeah. but anyway, the whole point was like, there was a part, something, a part of their internal dialogue that he wouldn't mm-hmm. know. And as a guy, you never think, well, I'm just going to look for clothes that don't show panty lines. Nobody, no guy thinks about that. But I think anybody that has a business problem, it's not about your message. It's about their own internal dialogue and what's going through their head. It could be a lack of confidence. It could be they're bored. It could be they're skeptical of you. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It could be they're they're just baked into the subconscious routine that they need to be snapped out of. Um, But until you fully understand what what their problem is, you can't give them a message. Like if... You know, we have this conversation at home all the time. They're like, hey, do you want to get some dinner? Sure. You know, let's order in. What do you want to order? Well, I don't know. Well, that, you, uh, you're not helping me. <laughs> and, then, and then, of course, I ask a question. I'm like, hey, do you want to do Italian? They're like, no. And I'm like, all right, enough. Like, you're telling me you don't care. And then the first thing I ask, you tell me you don't want. You tell mm-hmm. me what you want. Right. 
And then once that's the point, it's like, okay, if you said, okay, let's get Thai food. Well, okay, I'll pick, I'll pick the restaurant for Thai. Sure. Once I know you want Thai food, it's easy for me to order food knowing you're going to like it. Okay. But if, if I say, hey, let's order dinner, and I just pick a restaurant, and the food comes in, and they're like, yeah, I hate this kind of food. Mm-hmm. Well, right. that's, not, that's not helping me. Right. So I think more than anything, it's like this is where you come in, where you're kind of more of the expert than I think I am or anybody is. You have to be kind of the master psychiatrist. You have to understand what's going inside their head mm-hmm. um, before you know how to solve it. Yeah, I think that's the key. The key thing you said is understanding their internal dialogue. Very, very important. Because what does that mean? What does that mean is you understand what their motivation is. You understand what their needs are. And then you understand more about how they think their needs are going to be met. And that is what creates the sale. That is what creates the action. That is what causes them to take the next step they have a need that is is described to themselves by their internal dialogue they see your dialogue whatever verbally you have put out there and they see if that matches their internal dialogue and then they choose to take action and Um, some people some people it's not even that those are the people that are aware some people they're not You're even right. aware. Like, so for example, a big thing that, and it's, it's depends on the product, but so, so a lot of people, they have, depends on the, the, the problem they have. Some people, the problem they have is a lack of confidence, right? So let's mm-hmm. say you 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 have something where you're helping somebody lose weight. It could be a personal trainer. It could be exercise. It could be diet. It could be anything. And they're thinking, well, I'm never going to be able to lose 50 pounds. Well, your marketing message isn't, hey, I have this great thing that'll help you lose 50 pounds because their internal dialogue says, I'm never going to lose it. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever I've tried and failed. This is like my 18th time trying. It's just not going to work. I don't, you know, I'm always going to be fat for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. If I just say, hey, I'm going to help you lose 50 pounds, they're not going to believe me. But if I say, we have an exercise that's designed for people that have failed to lose weight over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. If you think that you're destined to never be able to lose weight, you know, this is one that'll help you do it. Or we'll have one where that allows you to eat ice cream, a diet where you can eat ice cream. Right. Like Nutrisystem does that. When they when theirs is they said, eat what you want. And they have a whole menu of things they send you. <laughs> you get to choose from their, you know, their menu. But their whole thing, if you listen to their messages, eat what you want, because there's people that are like, I don't, you know, yeah, I want to lose weight, but I really don't want to be sitting here eating vegan tofu for the rest of my life either. Right. Which brings up a really good point, uh, important point. And that is there are many marketing people out there who feel like the, the best message that they can send is the message that really applies to lazy, greedy, stupid people or a message that promises so much for so little effort that there's going to be a percentage of people out there that are going to jump at it. In other words, 10-minute abs. Um, eat everything as much as you want, anything you want, and lose weight while you sleep. Um, That's called uh, take, cancer, by t- the way. Yeah, well, 
there are some things they don't tell you, okay? Obviously, there's a lot that they don't tell you about the message that they're sending. But the point is this doesn't work. Yes, it does work for a percentage of the people. There are a percentage of the people out there that will click on something because it promises them the moon and the stars for no effort whatsoever. Or it promises them a solution to uh to not all their problems sometimes all their problems happiness you know click here and learn this med meditation technique or read this book and you'll be happy for the rest of your life you'll achieve happiness enlightenment uh you'll become a successful entrepreneur etc cetera, etc cetera. so the question in my mind is does that really work um if the content and the delivery and everything is just perfectly aligned with what's going on inside their head, their internal, their internal dialogue, it might just work. But what usually happens is what you call buyer's remorse. They join the Weight Watchers, they take the course, they read the book, they start the special meditation technique every day, and they find out that they're not happier, they didn't make a million dollars, they didn't lose the weight because they, it's not working for them. And sometimes they get a little bit of success and then they get frustrated. So this whole thing of, 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 of your marketing message over-promising, to me, is kind of a scam. Basically, I would call it a scam. Anybody out there that says, if you buy this mask, it's made of these special woven threads, it's gonna realign your chakras. And now all of a sudden you're gonna be incredibly healthy and wealthy and wise. Your life is gonna be wonderful. You're gonna be lucky from the morning till night. Everything you ever wanted is going to happen. Usually if you look at the bottom of the marketing message, it says these are unusual. We don't promise anything. We can't atypical. even tell you. We can't even tell you if the testimonies for this testimonials for this are real. Um, it, you know, obviously, we're not here to make money, uh, except when you know you click on this and pay us, you know, and so forth and so on. Whatever. There's always some waiver of liability or disclaimer at the bottom of it that's about 80 pages long. You know, it covers everything in the world, acts of God uh you know revolution terrorism whatever Vol volcanic activity volcanic that's activity in iceland whatever it is there's this disclaimer but the person that that, it, that is desperate or the person that, that has has done the dieting 20 times and has never worked they think this 21st time is going to work because they want it to work and just like the, the chakras will be aligned if you believe the chakras will be aligned. Come on, you know. So, and I think, I think we'll look at it from, I'm the math guy, so I look at it from like a statistical standpoint. So you have a bell curve, right? Yes. So you have one side of the bell curve where, you know, it's like the 10% of the people that you'll say, hey, I'm going to promise you the, the moon and the stars. You can lose 100 pounds, never work out, eat what you want. And they're going to believe it, Right. And it might even be the placebo effect for them, right? And they're going to be your biggest fans for that. But really, the, the other 90% of it are going to be people where it didn't work. And what happens is 
people are immediately going to be skeptical about you, but not only you, but anybody else that offers a similar product that you offer, right? And, and that's your buyer's remorse, right? Because it's like, wait a minute, I just feel like I got suckered. And it's like, all right, I got suckered once, I'm not going to get suckered twice. And mm-hmm. so I think it depends what your goal is. If your goal is just to make an easy sale and close your business about three months later, <laughs> then yeah, so send them the whole, like, your life's going to be perfect. These chakras are going to make you lose weight, find your spouse, all, you know, whatever it is. Do that, close your business, and go hide from the lawsuits, right? Mm-hmm. But what happens is people find out that it didn't work. And so the next time around, people are going to be skeptical. And so anything, even if you fully believe that your product offers this, 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 it's the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah. You're dealing with somebody who's going in there and they're muttering under their breath. They're going, yeah, right. What was that? You know, I might be young, but I wasn't born yesterday. Mm -hmm. And so your marketing message has to adjust that. And so a lot of it is people are going to trust more often if you're willing to display your wart, your warts. Um, or talk about how your product isn't perfect for everybody, then they're more likely to believe you because you're echoing the thoughts that are in their head. Mm-hmm. So if they say, listen, you know, this diet is not, look, you know, like, let's say, for example, you wanted to do one of those P90X things. Right. Like, they never say, well, this is going to be just really easy, five minute abs. You know, they're not going to do that. They're going to be like, this is a very difficult workout. And one of the things they actually put in their promotions is, you need that you might want to go check with your doctor to make sure that you're able to do this workout. Okay. Like, and that's an incredibly great marketing message because they're like, this workout's dangerous. <laughs> like it's so hard yeah. that you might want to go talk to your doctor. It's like the old Viagra thing where it says, like, in the event that you get an erection lasting four hours or more, go see your doctor. <laughs> and it's like these people, as Eben Pagan once said one time, these people haven't had an erection in 20 years. And now you're, you're telling them they might have too much of one. They said they're immediately <laughs> clicking on the button as soon as you tell them that, right? So... <clears throat> But that's one of these things where it's like you're going to attract the people that aren't looking for this little, you know, 20 minute, you know, okay, fine. It's just, it'll, I'll break a sweat type of thing. You're looking for people that have a serious goal and are highly committed. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, that they're going to get involved in that. Even the insanity one, that's what I'm doing right now. They call it the most difficult workout ever put on video. Like that's how they market it. It's like, well, they're not going for the person that just wants to casually lose, you know, hang out at the gym and lose weight. They're going for mm-hmm. people that are like serious about what they're trying to go, you know, because it's unbelievably hard. Yeah. So I think when you talk about your product, it's the same thing. You want to talk about, look, this isn't the end of the world. It's not a, you know, you know, we're not promising the moon or the stars. This doesn't work for sixty percent of the people. Like, but if it's going to work. The only people it works for are people that do this and this and this and this. If you're not willing to put in the effort, if you're not willing to change your behavior, if you're not willing to do this, 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 then it won't work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that's, that's where you're honest about it. Like this isn't for everybody, right? This right. isn't for people. And I, this is, I'm a big fan of disqualifying your prospect about telling people like, you know, like, who it's not for. Like we're not, this is not for this person, this person, and this person. This isn't going to, you know, five minute abs. You're not going to have Brad Pitt abs in a week. Right. Like, you know, you have to eat well, you have to adjust your diet. You have to do this and this. Um, if you're doing a marketing course, it's like, all right, this course in itself is not going to turn your business into a million dollar business, mm-hmm. you know, 
but this is going to give you the tools necessary and the education necessary to allow you to see the changes that you're going to need going forward. It's going to give you the confidence to know that you have a pro let's say it was a, you know, one of the things we talked about before about, you know, what would be a program where people would even want to, you know, if they're not sure if they want to start a business, offering them a program to help them have confidence that, look, the business that I want to pour my effort and blood, sweat, tears, time and effort into, how do I know it's going to be a viable product? Right. You know, it's like, all right, well, we're not, we're not promising you that you're going to, you know, you're going to make millions of dollars. We can't do that. But what we're going to do is this, this is designed to steer you in a direction so that you have confidence that the steps you take following that are going to be going in the right direction and are going to have the ability to be highly productive. But there's still right. a ton of decisions that you're going to need to make in the future that will either deep six your business or make it thrive. But that's not what we're doing right now. We're just helping you get started so that you can know, have the confidence to know that you have the right product and you're, you're going in the right direction. And that's the problem that people might have. Right. You know, but if, but there's a lot of people that would say the same thing, like, hey, we're going to show you how to start a business that, you know, where you can make a million dollars in your first five years and we're going to show you how to get started. Like, no, come on. People see, you know, people see through BS. And I had a math equation that I, it's, I'm a math guy, so I made a math equation my old, when I ran a sales team and I used to say that price equals value plus respect. You know, it's like if you offer a product that's, you know, I'm going to offer this program this, you know, lose 50 pounds and I'm going to offer it for five bucks. They presume that there's not a lot of value and you just lost their respect. But if you're saying that the value is way up here, but I'm going to, I'm offering this amazing program. that's going to solve all your problems and I'm going to have it for 10 bucks. They presume that if the, you know, the value has to be down here and you're going to lose the respect. The same thing, if you offer a product and you do the other thing and, and you have this amazing product that is legitimately amazing, it's going to change your life, but I'm going to offer it for two bucks. Well, then they're going to think that, you know, it's the opposite. Like you're undercutting your product, your product. And they're like, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to buy this amazing thing, but the guy's offering it for two bucks. He might, he must think, you know, it's not really that great. And I always put it in the form of an iPhone. Like if I say, if I tell somebody, Hey, I have a new iPhone 12 brand new, right? I'll sell it to you for 900 bucks. Well, they believe that it has $900 of value and you have their respect because they think, okay, that makes sense. But if I take that iPhone 12 and I say, I have a brand new iPhone 12, never been used. I'm going to offer it to you for 40 bucks. They see the value is up here, but the difference between these two is a loss of respect. And they immediately think that you, it's stolen or broken. Yeah. What's wrong with this picture? Yeah. And so when you have it to your point, getting back to what you said, it's like if you have a product and you're saying, we're going to sell you the moon and the stars and it's going to do all these great things. Yeah. The first time around, you might get that. Um, you're going to, you probably have a bunch of people that have been burned before and they're going to say, no way the math doesn't add up. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're skeptical of you. Um, and you're going to get a small amount. They'll buy it once. There'll probably be a high return rate and nobody will ever buy it from you again. And then on social media and on the internet, they're going to light you up. Right. Right. But if you're actually saying, okay, we're going to off, we're going to aim at people because we know 90% of the people we're talking to are skeptical because they've probably been burned either buy the product or they just weren't ready to consume it, right? So let's say it's this P90X and they weren't ready to put in that effort. Then the idea is you want to talk about, you know, kind of 
let's show them all the warts. Let's talk about why it didn't work the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, why is my product different than the one you bought before? Why is it, why is my product different enough that your skepticism about products like this are not justified and talk about it, you know, you know, right. the, you know, so it's, I think, you know, when you're looking at marketing, it just goes back to the point where you have to look at kind of what's going on inside their head because they're going to have a conversation inside their head about your product. And if you're not aware of what they're saying, then you don't even know what to tell them. Right. And, and we call that marketing research. I mean, marketing research is a part of marketing strategy and a marketing campaign. And there are many companies out there do an extensive amount of marketing research to, to do what is almost impossible, which is to understand that internal dialogue inside of their ideal consumer's mind and to find a way to align their product or service with what they feel is going on in that internal uh, dialogue because you're, you're not going to make the internal dialogue. You can only align with it. If you think you're going to make somebody think a certain way, that's a fool's errand, okay? That, I don't care if you have trillions of dollars, you're gonna have a hard time convincing. I don't care if you're Cambridge Analytical and you've got a trillion dollars to put out bogus Facebook ads, you're still gonna have a really hard time to convince people of something that they're not already convinced about. Now, if you understand their internal dialogue and you can align your message and the content of your message and the way you deliver the message to fit, fit with that, and, and that's like taking a boat that's going in a certain direction at a certain speed and just changing the rudder a little bit and getting the guy to go over here. As opposed to get in the boat, start the boat, drive the boat, go to here. No, people aren't going to do that. But if they're already in the boat and they're already going in a pretty, pretty close direction to where you want them to go, you can entice them or understand what their, their internal dialogue is to craft your message so that they say, oh, well, all I need to do is just kind of go off in this direction a little bit. I'm going to end up where, you know, what looks like a good place to land my boat as a, um, you know, as a metaphor, so to speak. But this, this idea, this, this, this challenge, this, this part of marketing, which is how do you get your message in front of enough people? Let's assume that your message is a good message. It's not good for everybody. It's only good for certain people that have the internal dialogue that that syncs with that message. The the content has to be delivered in a certain way. It's very different. Uh, The impact of that message is going to be very different if it's interrupting a movie they're watching versus something that just pops up on their screen, on their computer, okay, as part of a Yahoo email thing in the corner. Or whether the or whether they see it on a uh, on something that's delivered to their house in an envelope, or whether somebody hands it to them, it's how that. So there's the message, the content of the message, and how the message is delivered. But this issue of how do you get people's attention with the right message in the right way, delivered the right way with the right content that aligns with their internal dialogue is the biggest thing. It's the biggest thing. It's like the pizza place. There was a pizza place that said, we have the best pizzas in the universe. And there's a pizza place that said, we have the best pizzas in the United States. 
And there was a pizza place that said, we have the best pizzas in the neighborhood. The line for the best pizza place in the neighborhood was around the block. Nobody cared about the best pizza in the universe. I'm not going to Pluto for a pizza. I'm going down the street for a pizza. So there is a fine line between what in sales legally is called puffery, <laughs> okay? It's a legal term for making claims. We are the best. We, are, we provide 100% satisfaction guarantee. Um, nobody beats our prices. Uh, you know, we will not be undersold. This is all sales puffery. It's puffery. And, yeah, they always and say the where they say we're the number. It. The consumer <coughs> knows it's puffery. Yeah, well, you see people that say we're the number one car dealer in San Diego. What, it's like based what is, on what? what well, based mean? on well, we polled our own employees. <laughs> You know, we're number back, one at what? Selling cars? Or we're number one at telling you we sell cars? We're the number one dealer in San Diego that's at the address that we're located at. Yeah. We're number one. Remember you used <laughs> to chant that in high school? We're number right. one. Well, what the heck? That doesn't mean anything, you know? No. It's like chanting USA, USA. What's the point, you know? But this is, this is the kind of thing that entrepreneurs are going to be constantly faced with is getting the right message to the right audience in the right way aligned with their internal dialogue in such a way that you're going to get a, a the largest percentage possible to take action some kind of action that might not even be buying your product that just might be clicking for more information or clicking for your free ebook or clicking for, uh, 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 you know, to enroll in, 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 in a free uh, webinar or whatever it is. And my point with going back to LinkedIn, even though I had over 50 people RSVP that they were interested, and, a, and three of them sent a text which is what they needed to do in order to participate. They were not, I made it explicitly clear that they were not going to participate in the call if they didn't send the text. Because they weren't going to be, we're not going to get the information to, to, to participate in the call. It was not in the description. And look, I get tons of emails. Some are from people that I've signed up to receive their email but I'm not particularly interested in what they have to say today. Some are just spam. Some are out and out scams. Some are fishing expeditions where they want me to click on something and it's out and out nasty, hazardous stuff, okay? All of it, I get all of it. And I realize that these people on LinkedIn that are RSVP, they're not bad people. They connected to me in some way. And here's the thing, I, I sent them all an email stating that they needed to send me a text. I have their emails, and so I can always contact them again. But the purpose of contacting them is not to be a pest or to give them a sales pitch. Like you said, the purpose would be to contact them to do the research, to do the marketing research. You said you were interested. What was it about that, that you liked? You said you were interested. 
why did you not send the text? You said you were interested. You sent the text. You didn't show up for the call. Why didn't you show up for the call? Now, that's a bit of a catch-22, because if they RSVP'd and didn't send the text, why would they want to respond to my email asking them why? It's a numbers game. It's a numbers game. Especially you got to pound your fist. I want to know why you didn't show. And then do some finger pointing, too. I want to know why you didn't Look, come. You can, you grab, can you go to their house, just grab them by the, like, we got a call. You want to. You want to. But like I said at the beginning of this, 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 this podcast, there's the way the world is and there's the way the world should be. And the first thing I want to do is, is put myself in their mental place. If I had got this, would I have been interested? If I didn't respond to it, why would I not have responded to it? If I did respond to it and said I wanted to go and didn't show up, why would I not have done that? So understanding the mindset, the internal dialogue, the motivation of your potential customer or client is important and also capitalizing on the fact that they made a connection with you and nurturing that as opposed to saying you guys are a bunch of a-holes wasting my time and going negative okay which sometimes let's face it as an entrepreneur it can be frustrating it's all get out you spent money on advertising you spent money on facebook ads you spent you spent time at a networking event you sent out 10,000 emails. Uh, you did any number of different things to try to get people's attention out there and they didn't respond or if they did respond, they responded, but they didn't follow through. Frustrating, right? It's just like if a million people are visiting your website a month, but they're only staying for 20 seconds, you need to look at that, right? You need to look at that and well that's so, your bottleneck that's your bottleneck because it doesn't matter that. and it's interesting somebody told me one time it was kind of interesting it's like they're like if you're doing let's say a youtube video or an ad or whatever it is you look at the analytics and you find out okay if, if most people are staying let's say 20 seconds then you have to look at everything after 20 seconds of that video and realize nobody heard it Mm -hmm. And so you have to put all the best stuff or, you know, whatever the most valuable thing to keep their attention within that 20 seconds and then get them. And hopefully it goes from 20 seconds to a minute mm -hmm. and then it moves in the right direction. Cause otherwise, yeah, to your point, like if you, if they won't even hear it, they won't see it. Right. Like even web pages, like you're supposed to put everything above the fold. And so like, if you even have to, most people, when they bounce off your webpage, they don't scroll at all. Mm -hmm. So you have to put whatever is going to get them to engage in your website within the actual way it loads up on your website, whether that's mobile or desktop, because it really doesn't matter. You can right. put all this time in making this great homepage, but if it's below the, the screen and yeah. they have to scroll, nobody sees it, then you're wasting your time. Right. And also got to remember that in spite of the technology and the strategy and the tactics and the structure and everything that goes along with your marketing campaign, follow-up, drip, drip responses, uh, measurement, A, B measurement, all that, 
you're still talking to human beings, okay? So if you're sending out a message that says, my service is great because of A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and you bombard them with too much technical information, you may be just completely turning them off or they're just looking at it and going like, oh, and moving on, okay? You're not, what I'm saying is, there's always an emotional component to the message. Emotional component. People make emotional decisions to buy something or to get involved with something or to connect with something. It's an emotional decision. Like you said, it could be respect, trust, some kind of desire. It fits with their self-image. It's in alignment with their eternal dia internal dialogue, <clears throat> but there's an emotional component, okay? If there is not an emotional component, then all you're presenting them with is a group of some facts that they don't motivate them to do anything. Now, people, they say in sales that people buy for emotional reasons, then they justify it with logic or facts or whatever. 100%. Almost 100%, right? Unless you're so, buying some type of scientific equipment for a big corporation. <laughs> it's even like then. Always, it's emotional and immature and there's internal tantrums that people throw and it's, you know, getting rid of those tantrums is right. how you get the sale. Right. It's just like you said in the last podcast, there was a politician. We don't need to go into the details. He came right out and said, everything that we said to the public while we were campaigning for this office were lies. The other side of that is we were telling them what they wanted to hear. So if you're running for office or you're trying to sell a product, are you gonna spend all your time telling people what they wanna hear or telling them why they don't want the product? <laughs> How difficult it's going to be how expensive it is, how they're overpaying for something, how it's probably not the right product for them. Um, excuse me, um, if that's what you're telling people, you're probably not gonna get a lot of sales. I'll give you an example though, because it's, it's a gray area, you know, this whole thing about puffery and over, over, uh, over promising and what have you. It's a bit of a gray area, or it can be. I have a client who was desperate to try to get her business going to the next level. She was frustrated as heck and desperate and, and, and emotionally distraught, okay? She's a coach. She saw an ad online, a website online, this woman promising, the sun and the moon and the stars. Your business is going, you're going to have million dollar clients and you're going to have this and I'm going to hold your hand and we're going to align your chakras and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Well, she bought into it, $8,000. And you know what she got out of it? A couple of emails going back and forth. Zip nada. Now, the person who was this guru, this marketing expert, 
for coaches and what have you, whatnot, okay, said, well, look, you know, um, I could have provided you with all of these things, but you didn't want to participate. You didn't want to do what I said you should do. You didn't work with me. So I gave you as much help as I could, and then you walked away, and that was the end of the story. So who, who is what in that scenario? Is somebody that's promising the moon and the stars not able to deliver? Or is somebody who bought the moon and the stars not willing to do the work or not willing to change or not willing to modify their mindset or not willing to, you know, if you sell an exercise bike for $5,000 and it has the features that you say it has and a person buys it and is delivered to their house and it works as advertised. You still got to get on the bike and pedal. If you don't get on the bike and pedal, it ain't going nowhere. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger said, nobody ever gained an ounce of muscle watching me work out. <laughs> you know? So how do you balance these two things? Is it over-promising? Or is it that the, the, the person that bought into it knew, knew on some level, unconsciously, it was never going to work to begin with because they weren't willing to make the commitment to make it work? How do you balance these things? Again, it's a great, there are some gray areas there, but it, it isn't one way 100% or the other way 100%. It's a combination. If I have a client and they want me to help them and they pay for me to help them, if they decide they don't want to talk to me because what I'm bringing up is a little bit painful for them or difficult for them to understand. I try to make it simpler, but if I make it simpler and they understand it and they go, that, that's just not something I'm going to do. You know, if you have a trainer and he comes to your house and he says, okay, do 20 push-ups, now do sit-ups, now do crunches, now do this. And you go, nah, I'm not feeling it today. Well, okay, you just paid $300 um, for my time. If you want to sit here and chat about the weather, I'll do that too. So, you know, we want to simplify things. We want things to be black and white. We want things to be right or wrong, good or bad, yes or no. But that's not the world we live in. That's like the world, the way the world should be. But that's not the way the world is. So I want entrepreneurs to understand it's a, it's a moving target, man. It's a shaky, it's a shaky situation. It isn't, you don't wake up in the morning expecting everything to be a certain way and that's the way it turns out. That's not entrepreneurism, that's death, <laughs> okay? The dead don't have to worry about what's gonna happen the next day or what to do the next day. That's, that's not, that's death. Life is change and it's dynamic. And as much as you want to take it and put it in a box and say, this is what it is, it's defined by this box. It isn't. That's just what's going on in your own head. That's your own internal dialogue saying, I want this relationship to be like this and this is what it should be and, and doggone it. If it isn't, I'm going to be extremely disappointed. And, and, and I'm going to be hurt or angry. No. 
you problem solve and you execute and you never stop doing that from the from the time you open your eyes in the morning and till you close your eyes again at night and then you hope that maybe even while you're sleeping you're figuring problems out yeah and i think again part of it's you know you, you talk about some of the problems are, are um are obvious but some of them you have to look at how you have to approach it almost like you're the customer so let's say that you're selling a product you have to look and see, you know, okay, what are they doing to search for it? Are they searching on Google? Are they searching on Amazon? And then present, pretend like you're looking for it. And you said, okay, I want, um, I don't know, pick a pro. Like I, I was looking for this router extender, right? In my house, because it was a dead zone on one side of our house. Well, it's like, okay, well, what am I looking for? Like, I don't even know what I looked for. I've never shopped for this kind of thing before. And it's like, all of a sudden you can get a sense on like, are you shopping by price? Am I the first, am I person that sorts it by lowest price to highest price? Am I the person that um, sorts it by average product review? And then I want to look and see what I find. And so one of the, one of the things that I was shopping for, and I actually have these today was, were um, wireless earbuds. And mm. so I had these wireless earbuds that I would use for working out so that, you know, I can kind of blast stuff and people in the house don't hear it. <laughs> and then what would happen is for, I like, I bought a pair and they worked for like, I don't know, a couple months and then they stopped working. And I was like, what's right. up with that? So I bought another pair and it stopped working after like a week. And then I bought a different model, like a di whole different, the first and second one were the same model. The third mm -hmm. one I bought was different. It stopped working. And then I bought another one and it stopped working after about a week. And I realized, all right, I don't think the earbuds are the problem. I think there must be something else. And I'm like, well, I'm working out on these. Maybe it's sweat. And so I started re you know, Googling and I was like, oh, well, mm -hmm. that's like a common way that people do it. So, you know, a common reason that these things, you know, would stop working because they literally would turn off. And so I'd plug them in and they wouldn't charge. They're totally unresponsive. Right. So I went on Amazon. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to be sitting here ordering these every three weeks for the rest of my life. Like They're I went on there. disposable earbuds. No, no. But it was like, <laughs> I went online and I literally went on and I looked at how many reviews. And so like, if it had like 4,000 reviews or whatever, it could be whatever. But if it had like mm. five reviews, I'm not looking at it. And then when I went on there, I went to the place where you can search the reviews and I typed in sweat. Mm. Right. And I wanted to look at positive reviews, negative views. I wanted to see if the company, even on the webpage, I would look at it on the page and I'd say, I want to see if the company talks about that. And so mm -hmm. if they're not talking about like sweat proof or this or that, if the company's not being proactive and talk about it, then I'm probably not going to consider it. And so I found like one or two models that the company was like, yeah, and it doesn't matter. You know, these are sweat proof. Wear them underwater. Well, no, they said you couldn't swim in them. <laughs> right. But they That's said what I'm sweat saying. if you could swim so, with them, you don't have to worry about sweat. So this is kind of like my own little mock focus group. So I said, okay, mm -hmm. I, I, I found the ones that only, I only looked at the ones that said, the company said proactively, these are sweat proof, right? Mm -hmm. Then I went in the reviews. I'm like, all right, like we talked about. Yeah, right. So then I went down to the reviews and I, you know, got it. So they're all open. So it's, they're not truncated. So I'm looking at all the reviews on the page and I typed in sweat and I looked at what people were saying. And, mm -hmm. you know, some people were like, oh, when I sweat, you know, I, at least stop working after I sweat. But then I would see like for every one that said they stopped working, I'd see like seven that said, man, I, I, I sweated through these. I can't believe these still work. 
And so I finally got to a point where I looked at them and I'm like, all right, well, this one's $10. It's $10 cheaper than this one, or there was a discount or something like that. And so I ended up getting them. And these were these ones that I have right here. And I've never had wireless earbuds before. But one of the things they said in there too, was they said, you know, when you work out or whatever afterwards, you want to wipe them off and clean them off. And I'd never mm -hmm. even thought of that. I'm like, mm -hmm. I never do that. Mm -hmm. But what made me buy them was the fact that I'm looking for sweat proof earbuds. Mm -hmm. Now there's a whole bunch of earbuds that I looked at that never mentioned it. They always talk about IPX8 or whatever it is, waterproof rating or whatever it is. Wow. But they didn't mention anything about sweat proof. And so I immediately went, Nope. And kept looking and looking until I had like three or four that said they were sweat proof. And then I went and looked a little further. So if I'm trying to sell earbuds to somebody who's using them for working out, I could talk about their noise canceling. I could talk about, you know, whatever it is. But if I'm not mentioning sweat proof, I'm probably missing a big part of my market. And so the one that I ended up buying, they actually had a graphic. I mean, they went out of their way to create a graphic and they're like sweat proof, no matter how much you sweat, you know, they won't stop wow. working. They anticipated that, was, that need. They anticipated your need and your internal dialogue. They spoke to my internal dialogue because my internal mm -hmm. dialogue is like, I'm sick of buying. I'm sick of having to replace earbuds that keep dying on me because the sweat interferes with them. Right. And I'm like, if somebody can, if somebody can show me ahead of time that this, they're so confident in their product that they know that they won't, this won't be a problem. I'll give you a shot. Sure. Now, let's say in, in two weeks, these go out. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to probably like, probably get some really high end ones or do something. I don't know what I'm going to do, but like, yeah. that was part, you know, it's like, and I went through Amazon because you get a 30 day return policy. And I'm like, these of things, course. if they, these things hadn't lasted that long, I could just return them and get a refund. Right. So, but anyway, that's kind of, it's like, if you're marketing a product, they could talk about it had a graphic equalizer, it's noise canceling, hmm. you know, easy to pair. They can mention all these benefits on there. Comfortable. Yeah, comfortable and whatever it is. They could talk about all these things. I don't, I don't care about that. I don't want these things to die two and a half weeks later because they're not designed <laughs> to handle people working out in them. Yeah. And it's like, this is the thing, it's like in your ear, like they should not have that much of a problem if they're snug in your ear, having swept an issue. So the, whoever designed these had to have identified my problem, engineered a solution to it, and is now marketing that solution. And right. so whoever's listening to this, it's like, if you have a product, you need to understand that people have bought products like yours before. The question uh -huh. is, why should they buy your product after being burned potentially or let's say they're not burned, but they have six different alternatives they could buy. Why should they buy right. yours and ice out five other people? Right. And, and until you know what's going on in their head and why they're buying it, um, it's important to know that. So we talked about, you know, like, let's say you started an entrepreneur program. It's like, you could have a program on how to scale your business. That's yeah. aimed at certain people. You can yeah. have a business on how to name your business how to come up with an idea that you know how to how to work how mm -hmm. to manage the numbers you could have a business how to manage employees there's people that do hr like um technology suites for just that that manage hr and payroll sure 
because somebody just doesn't want to be sitting here doing manual bookkeeping and writing a check every week. They want to just be able to have somebody plug it in and boom, it's done. Right. But whatever it is, it's like, what's their big annoyance? What's the big thing that once they say, yep, I'm going to buy it, this problem is going to be gone very, very soon. Until you know what that internal dialogue is, you're not going to go anywhere. And even more so, you have to understand the emotionality of that dialogue. So let's say you get to a, a diet or a workout thing. They're not saying, I want to lose weight. Nobody says they want to lose weight. People say, I'm sick of being fat or my clothes don't fit or I'm never going to get a girlfriend or I feel like a slob. Mm-hmm you know, or whatever it is, or I have no self-control or, you know, my girlfriend just dumped me because I'm out, you know, I'm too fat. Hmm. And Eben Pagan is really big on those words, like fat, like really just emotionally charged words because that's what's going on through their head. So like if I was doing an exercise program or some type of thing where people are going to lose weight, I would never say lose weight. I'd say, are you, aren't you sick of being fat? Aren't mm-hmm. you sick of getting no attention from women? <laughs> You're sick of not having a girlfriend, you know, whatever it is. You're sick. You you hate mirrors. When was the last time you actually looked at yourself in the mirror? Are you disgusted with yourself? Are you, you you know, are you, no, even better. I like that, but even better. No, I like that. Are you, are you sick of looking at yourself and looking at your disgusting self in the mirror? Yeah. You know, and then it's like, all right, well, then there's, you got to understand the burn, right? So like people feel like they've been burned before. It's like, if you're anything like me, you've tried about 18 different diets and no matter how hard you work, nothing works. And you're still the same fat self that you try to avoid looking at yourself in the mirror again. Yeah. In this one, how are we different? Yeah. We're not like these other ones that failed you. This is why we're different. And the reason why is a really big, important mental trigger because it gets past skepticism. If you can, Mm -hmm. like you said, they buy emotionally and they validate it with logic. So if you can get into a point where they're interested and they're saying, why, you know, you know, left side of the brain, right side of the brain. And I'm going to, the logic's going to come in and advocate for the emotional side, come into an agreement. And that usually will get them to sink in the buy. But -hmm. their, their desire for your product is not logical. They're not captain. They're not Spock from Star Trek. (laughs) They buy because they're like, I'm sick of this crap. I'm sick of my clothes not fitting. I got to do something different. And right. if it's buying medical, you know, it's like, what do they call that? Um, Nutrisystem or like the medical food diets or whatever they are. Mm. Um, whatever it is, I need to do something different. I mean, you look at people drank and ate like nobody's business in March and they got all fat sitting in their house. What was one of the biggest stocks in April? Peloton. Now, oh, it's gone through the roof, right? Yeah. And part of it, Peloton's high, high level. Like it's not a cheap bike. It's, it's expensive or subscriptions you do to do. Oh, people were like, people felt so strongly that they had to work out because their gyms got closed and they didn't want to be fat or they Mm -hmm. gained weight because they drank all day that they were willing to do anything to solve that problem. Do you know, in May, I think in May, there was, it was almost impossible to buy actual workout weights because they were all sold out. Wow. So nobody could even say, well, I'm just going to go buy some weights and have a home gym. Right. Well, good luck, because there weren't any out there. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah. you have to understand what's the background. Like, it's like, yeah, these people, like in, in all the gyms, they advertise in January, the end of December, the last week of December and the first week of January is when most of the budgets for, for gyms are 
because people have been eating since Halloween. Mm. And they call yeah. them, I like to call these people January gym joiners because they yes. join, but then you'll go in January, the place is packed. You can never get on a machine. The gym is just overloaded. But by February, the place empties out. Of course. Right. So it's like these people were just emotional decision makers, but then they have this gym membership that keeps getting paid throughout the year, but they never actually show up. Right. So then there's this thing in sales called the reductum ad absurdum. And uh, it's, it's, it's a sales technique. Um, and so what Peloton says is, yes, this entire program is $15,000. But what we're going to do is we're going to finance it for you automatically when you, when you sign up. You'll be, it'll be financed at 15% uh, interest. But it's, it's going to be less than $100 a month. You know, it's like taking out a 30-year mortgage, you know. You're going to end up paying 40000 for it, but they tell you it's only going to be $95 a month, even though you're buying $20,000 worth of programs and equipment. So there's going to be some people that fall for that. They're going to go ahead and sign up for it and start their $90 a month thing and then after four months, they're going to say, this is ridiculous. I've only gotten on it for 10 minutes. How do I get out of this contract? <laughs> you know, uh, which they may or may not be able to get out of. More, more than likely, they will not. Um, yeah, it's easier to the, get out of the uh, Scientology people. It's easier to get out of Scientology than it is a gym. <laughs> That's right. And, and number one, they're going to convince you that you made the right decision to begin with if you go ahead and just start working out now. So why, why do you want to quit? Why do you want your money back? Why do you want to stop making payments? Just start working out now. And you go like, yeah, okay. And then six months later, you haven't gone. Well, and Same it goes the back Peloton. to the con you get on the bike. It's one of the first the things, one of the first things that I learned in business school is they said the worst, what the worst thing that you could ever do in decision-making is, um, is do something because of a sunk cost. Like yes. we bought this product, well, let's just use it. Even if we know the product isn't going to work for us, let's just use it. And But the problem is people don't want to feel like they wasted something entirely. And so your point about the gym people is right. Hey, you already paid for it or you're going to pay for it. So you might as well come into the gym even though you don't want to come into the gym and you're lazy and you don't feel like you can do it and you have to do it on your own and nobody's helping mm -hmm. you and you feel like you're, this is getting to a weight. You don't even know how if you're ever going to get there. But come in anyway because you've already paid for it. You know, yeah. and that's the Peloton thing. It's like, okay, we're going to, you'll buy the Peloton either cash or financing. And it's like, well, you're going to use it. And it's like, how many people, and I, I don't even know about if it's different for Peloton, but how many people had ellipticals in their house that are sitting in their garage gathering dust? Like my wife had one for a long time and it was in a room and then she stopped using it. And then I used, I was probably the only person I used it for a while. Right. It got to a point where we ended up having to dissemble it and send it over to Goodwill or not Goodwill. We destroyed it. Like we completely <laughs> dissembled it. And I think Just, we sent it over. We sent it over to the Miramar landfill. Yes. Right. But it's one of those things where it's like, if you can get them to do, and that's why I think monthly recurring revenue models are, are successful is because people feel like I'm paying for something. I might as well get something out of it possibly, or they just forget about it. And every month their credit card gets uh, 
cha-ching, you know, and they just forget well, about it. Well, I think you're right. I think there's, I forget about it, but then when they're reminded, hey, this is on my credit card statement, I'm paying for it, they have a choice. I can cancel it, which takes away my options if I want it in the future, or I can just leave it on because, hey, I might go to the gym. Right. Like, you know, you're not going to the gym. Let's be very clear. You know, you're not going to the gym, but it takes, but you you don't want to, okay, there's your inner dialogue again. You don't want to say to yourself, I'm officially giving up on the gym and never going. Canceling Mm -hmm. the gym membership says, I'm never going to the gym and I give up on this ever happening in the future. Mm-hmm. A lot of people would rather pay that money on their statement and allow it to be deducted on their statement for the sake of a plausible deniability hope where yes. they can say, well, I can always go to the gym in a couple of weeks or next right. week because I have right. a gym membership. Mm-hmm. But the minute they cancel it, what they're doing is they're giving up on themselves. Right. Which, you know, part of it, if you're going to do a monthly recurring revenue model, you have to have that part of it. It's like, you know, I had one for the longest time and it's like, you can have somebody that goes in, you can have a library of all the videos that I have. You can view them on demand. There's new videos being added all the time, but the minute they cancel it, you lose the library. And Mm -hmm. so if you have a problem in sales that you need to get fixed, you lose access to something. Whereas if you keep paying it, you at least have the option to look at it. Now you may not look at it for a year. I'm so I was shocked how little people, like access things they pay for with oh, programs. I, I'm shocked. I'm just blown away at that. Um, but if it's something that, like I said, if they cancel it, what they're saying to themselves is I give up and I'm a failure. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's what most people when they have a recurring model, they do that on. So like I, even the little thing, like I have an iPhone and it has an Apple care on it. It's like nine bucks a month I pay. Right. And I'm happy to pay it or whatever. But if I said, well, I'm just going to cancel it. I just don't want to pay that anymore. What I'm really saying is I'm willing to pay for a new phone out of pocket if something (laughs) happens or it gets stolen. And I'm not willing to do that. So I'm not really paying the $9 to protect it. I'm, I'm almost like not wanting to make, well, it's a little bit analogous. Peace of mind. Peace I'm of not, mind. I'm not willing to commit to the opposite side of it and take away my options because it right. would, it's, it doesn't make sense to do the opposite. So it's almost like I'm paying money to the mob every month. And it's like, well, I'd rather pay Protection money to Vinny, I'd rather pay money to, to Vinny the fist than to stop paying him. <laughs> well, look, if you're paying money to Vinny the fist, okay, you know that if you stop paying money to Vinny the fist, Vinny's fist will hit your face. That's a little bit different, but what you're paying for uh, with with the iPhone now is just a picture of you. You went away. What what are you there? We lost you. Okay, you're back. Can you hear me? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm there. Okay, good. So what you're paying for is commonly referred to as peace of mind. Okay, for a small amount of money, you're insuring that you have one peace of mind and should a worst case scenario occur, um, you're covered and you're willing to pay a little bit of money every month for that peace of mind and that protection for the worst case scenario. Now I'll bet you that if your iPhone is stolen or run over by a truck, there's a deductible. They don't just replace it. They replace it less $200 or they replace it less a certain amount. Okay. There's always a deductible. So there's that. 
And if you tell them it's lost, it better be lost. Because if you just left it in your closet and you want another iPhone, that's not going to work either. So you have to read all the fine print that says you have peace of mind, but you have this under these specific legal contractual circumstances. And if you do not meet these legal contractual substantiated circumstances that you have to prove, you got nothing for your $9, nothing, okay? A hope, a dream, a wish. Nothing's going to happen for you. You got to read the fine print on the peace of mind dealio, right? Yeah, and I'd say the other thing too is, so there's there's the two sides of the brain. You have your logical side and your emotional side, right? I think the the logical side, your left side of your brain is the peace of mind side. Hey, I have peace of Mm -hmm. mind. I have car insurance. You know, I paid my premiums. I have home insurance, whatever it is. I have mm-hmm. my seatbelt on. Mm-hmm. But then there's also the right side of the brain, which is more emotional, which is like, I feel better about myself having this. Yes. And I may not use it. Like I, I'll, I'll go into my house and walk by the elliptical every day and I feel like I could use it. Mm-hmm. And at least I'm, I may have this option or I may do this. Mm-hmm. And I feel, you know, or somebody buys, you know, a program and, and it's, like it's crazy. You have people that go through the whole program. Like I'm one of these people that always do that. And then there's people that buy it, watch like three videos and then like never watch it again. Right. It's crazy. And it's like, well, at least I have it. So I feel like I'm on the path or I can readjust whatever possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel better about myself right. because I'm at least giving myself the option. Now they may not execute on it, but at least it's on there. Um, right. And it's weird how many people do that. Like, I think if you looked at your credit card statement or bank statement, if I looked at mine and you looked, how many things on there are areas where they're just ego validators, they're ego assuagers. Yes. It's probably amazing what's on there. Like, I'll give you an example. We had this, we had this conversation in our house about movie channels. Right. And so like we'd say, okay, Hey, you know, I I said, Hey, we're getting charged for Showtime every month, like, or HBO or whatever it is. Like, (laughs) Like, why don't we just cancel it? They're like, no, I want to watch a show. I'm like, well, have you watched it? Well, no. I'm like, but I could watch it. I want to watch it. Okay, well, we could cancel it. And then when you want to watch it, we can just sign up for it again. <laughs> you know, and it's like, My you struggle. don't necessarily. Well, no, but it's like, it got to a point where the last show we were watching on HBO finished up and there was right. literally nothing left over. And so we just canceled it because there was no reason to have it anymore. Right. But it's like, right. we, we had the same thing about a stars about another movie channel. It's like, all right, well, it's like, Oh no, there's a show I really want to watch on there. Really? Because I've never seen you watch stars over the last two months. Right. Right. You know, this is human nature. Like, this is, but human I could watch nature. it. Right. But it's an option. It's something I could do. And it's like, here again, loop back to your meetup people. It's like, this is something I could do. Mm-hmm. I'll put it on I'll RSVP just to get it on my calendar. Cause I could do it. I could do it but are you going to do it? Well, that's different. And now, now you got to go into your internal dialogue and say, what is this person really saying? And that's the person that's, you know, maybe they do have showtime on demand or whatever, and they're watching it all the time or they're mm-hmm. Netflix on demand and they're watching it all the time. Mm-hmm. But then there's people that just have it because, you know, they could have it. Right. It's kind of like, sometimes I tell my clients, you got to keep building value until they can't say no. 
all right? Uh, it's that old Ginzu knife, but wait, there's more, you know? Um, so for example, with the meetup, a meetup or LinkedIn event or whatever the event is online or whatever, you can add more value to it. You could say, okay, one person will be chosen as random to get a $100 gift certificate. Or if you join this and you uh, attend five of these events or online, whatever, then we're going to send you a valuable gift of some kind. Or if you participate in this and then you decide to sign up for our program, you're going to get 40% off. But you won't get the 40% off if you don't participate in uh, this uh, webinar. There's so many things that you can entice people and you can add value. Some of it's very intangible and some of it's more tangible. If you're telling people that if you uh, participate in this, you're going to be considered to be a nice person and you're going to be doing yourself some good and you're going to be uh, you're going to really appreciate that you did it you're going to love yourself so much for doing it that's intangible or you could tell them if you participate you're going to get 40 percent off the program or you could win a gift certificate for a hundred dollars or hell we'll send you ten dollars we'll pay you to show up for this there's so many different things you could do i do want to i i do want to um mention that for the entrepreneur out there that's looking at their marketing strategy in a marketing campaign, strategy being the problem solving, campaign being the execution, they should not look at, they can start with what would I do and what would I like and what would I think, but they shouldn't leave it there because their audience is not them. Their audience may think completely different than they do. They may think they may be motivated differently than they are. It's almost guaranteed they are. Exactly. It is almost guaranteed they are. So they're kind of like Colonel Sanders, who was a, a vegetarian, a vegan, you know. Um, but he sold the chicken recipe and uh, he told everybody that, you know, and he had his, his social security check when he was 66 years old. And he started, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken. And um, I don't know if he was a vegetarian at the time, but um, I don't know how you can sample the chicken if you're a vegetarian, but he eventually became a vegetarian. But the point is that he was selling an idea. He was not selling. Can you uh, going to a restaurant in the South and saying, I have a secret recipe for chicken and if you use my secret recipe and pay me a percent of all the chicken you sell, um, or you got to pay me this fee and I'll, I'm going to set you up to, to make this. In the South, in the South, everybody knows how to make fried chicken, okay? <laughs> That's like opening up a black church in Atlanta, you know? I mean, come opening on. Opening up a taco you know? stand I mean, here in San Diego. <laughs> opening another taco stand on the corner <laughs> in Chula Vista. Come on, man, you know, but yet he made it work somehow. He made it work. So the key to the entrepreneur is how do you make it work? You've got to have that mindset that says, if it doesn't work this way, I'm going to do this. If it doesn't do that, then I'm going to do this. You have to continually problem solve. Then you got to take the result of your problem solve, solving and execute. 
And I think we're almost about done with this podcast now because we have been yeah. talking for close to two hours. And I'm a little concerned that somebody's going to look at the podcast and see that it's two hours long and decide not to listen to it. <laughs> well, I would say this, the person that looks at it for two hours long, we're not maybe the right podcast for them, but there's somebody that, there are people that like long form. No, but there's somebody that's working all day. Yeah. I'll tell you this. So I pull on YouTube, I put on YouTube, but there's stuff that I watch and like something will be four minutes and that's great because it's a quick bite, but then I have to keep going back to it, close it out, play something else. But the longer form podcasts that I listen Mm -hmm. to are nice because they stay in the background for a while. Yeah. And listen, people... Listen to it. If you can't listen to it for two hours, this, you know, listen to it for 20 minutes and come back. Right. I mean, you can do that on Spotify or any place that you're listening to this. Just pause it. Okay. Yep. You don't have to listen to all two hours in one gulp. All right. So if you had to, I'll, I'll do this. So I'll ask, uh, I'll jump in on this and I'll let you take the anchor leg on this. So just wrapping up. Um, I think the biggest, biggest takeaway that I could have for people on this episode is that you have to, if you're going to really understand how to market somebody, it's not necessarily the words you use or hiring the right marketing coach or having an agency. It's you have to have a really strong understanding with how people are thinking inside their own head at the moment they hear your message. What's Mm -hmm. the big problem they have? Is it something where they're beating themselves up? I'm a big fat you know, I'm a big fat slob and I, I, I don't want to look at myself in the mirror anymore. My clothes don't fit. It could be something like that. Um, but understanding what's going through there. When they see your product, what's the thing that first their first response to it? Is it, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. I've never seen anything like this before. And it's their first introduction to your product category, right? So they're, right. The, they're the Don Quixotes of the world that feel like your product's going to solve everything in their life. Or are they more likely going to be skeptical? And as soon as you make a claim, they're going to say, yeah, right. So you need to be Mm -hmm. able to have a conversation as if you know what's coming and to basically head those things off at the pass. So if it's a, if you're starting a personal training regiment and they say, we're going to help you lose weight. Nobody talks like that. First of all, they don't want to be fat anymore. Mm-hmm. Secondly, it's like, how are you different than anybody else? And how are you going to answer them when they say they don't believe you? Right. But to have that full on understanding of what's going on in their world is very important. And, and if you don't know what it is right now, that's fine. Welcome to the rest of the world. But you need to ask. Mm-hmm. And I just know for me, when I first started out, really before I made my breakthrough, the breakthrough became came about because I spent the first, I don't know, probably day or two just trying to figure out who I was talking to and what they were thinking and what the patterns Mm -hmm. that I noticed were. And once I noticed there was a very clear pattern and what people were thinking and I got them to open up and tell me why they were thinking and what they were, what's really going on inside their head. Now I knew exactly how to talk to them and I could be very direct. I could take risks and I could be very specific in what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Um, And that ended up working extremely well for me. But if you don't do that, if you don't know what's going on inside people's head about themselves and, or, mm-hmm. or about you, your product, or your, or your industry, your product category, then all you're doing is just hoping. And hope mm-hmm. is not a strategy, especially in marketing. Yes. You got to do your homework, find out specifics, and get to a point where you know exactly what they're thinking. And like my thing with Amazon when I'm shopping, I knew exactly what I was looking for. And the company that I ended up buying their earbuds from 
were very proactive in addressing my concern and assuring me that unlike all the other products in the category that I was looking at, these ones would not suffer the same fate as my prior purchases. And right. I bought them instantly. Now, Al, what's, right. your, what's your final takeaway for everybody? My final take is that's, th those are all really good, uh, important points, Matt. And I would say that my final take is this. Under, really understand what it is that you have to offer, whether it's a product or service, from the consumer's point of view realize that not everybody is going to like what you are offering, okay? Your goal is to increase the percentage as much as possible by crafting your message, crafting the content, delivering the content in the right way to the right audience. And the only way you're gonna know how to do that is to test, test, test. You gotta do the research, you got to test it. This way is the message is delivered. This was the demographics of the people that uh, I sent the message to. This is the result I got. X amount of clicks, X amount of purchases, X amount of whatever. And test that against something different and against something different again. And when you find the right formula, which is the biggest percentage you can get, the most ROI that you can get, the least cost per sale that you can get, then put your money into that as much as possible and go full out. That is my, uh, that is what I have to say about that. All right, good. Well, listen, we've covered a lot today. Um, hopefully you guys got a lot out of it. Um, one of the things we're going to probably talk about next week is, and we're actually intending to do it today, but we'll just do it next week, is the, uh, the real life of an entrepreneur. So we talked about kind of the understanding our customers and, and what really makes them pull the trigger and buy from you. Um, one of the things we, I know you alluded to a couple times, Al, was just, you know, kind of, you know, as a life of an entrepreneur, it's not about just putting marketing out and selling it, but it's about solving problems and getting better and getting better and better and better and testing and better and testing and better. But we're going to talk about the real life of an entrepreneur from a daily, um, you know, kind of a functional thing, what it's like to be an entrepreneur. We're going to talk about the mindset of being an entrepreneur. And in the spirit of what we talked about today, we're going to talk about things that suck about being an entrepreneur. <laughs> um, but also the things that being an entrepreneur can give you that no one, that really nothing else can give you. Right. And how it can change your life. So, with that being said, we appreciate you guys hanging out. My name is Matt Halsey. I'm Al Horn. We'll see you guys next time around. Thank you for joining us today on the Halsey and Horn podcast. You've just taken the crucial step to finally take control of where your life is going by joining us on the road to entrepreneurship. The path to your new amazing destiny has only just begun. You're already ahead of 99% of the people around you because you're finally taking control of your life and making the choice to claim your new destiny. We'd love to help you in any way we can along your journey, so take a minute to reach out to us. You'll find our contact information in the show notes. And while you're there, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified as soon as the newest episode drops. And if you haven't yet subscribed to our YouTube channel, what are you waiting for? Don't wait. Do it now. Can't wait to meet up for our next episode, and we'll see you soon.